Podcastle, episode 243, for January 15th, 2013. Tiger in the BSC, by E. Lily Yu. This one, I'm happy to say, is for all ages. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson. It's still January, right? So, this week we've got an inspiring story for you all about change. I mentioned a few weeks back that I've been doing my best to change some habits in my life, and thus far, I'm pretty pleased with the progress. Lost a little bit of weight, nothing to get too excited about yet, but I think they're the first few steps on a really big journey. I've also been writing and subbing my own fiction a little more, and I've started recording another audiobook. More on that in the next few weeks. I am holding out for 2013 being a great year, and I'm looking forward to the surprises that come my way. This week, we've got a lovely little modern-day fairy tale. Podcastle is very proud to present Tiger in the BSC, originally published in Cicada. What is the BSC, you might ask? That stands for the Bombay Stock Exchange. One of my favorite things about this story is that it's unreservedly a story for everyone, for all ages, adults, kids, and one I can play for my kids over and over again now that the Christmas mummy season is over. For whatever reason, we don't get much of an opportunity to run many of these here. So yay! E. Lily Yu has had stories nominated for the Hugo, Nebula, and World Fantasy Awards, and is the recipient of the 2012 John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer. She has stories coming out in Apex Magazine and the Boston Review in 2013. We featured one of her stories here, the flash fiction piece The Transfiguration of Maria Luisa Ortega, and her story The Cartographer Wasps and the Anarchist Bees was featured last year at Escape Pod during Hugo Month. We're very happy to have her back here. You can visit her online at elilyu.com. Our reader this week is TCA Lakshmi Narishiman who last read for us Lavanya Deepika. So diversify that portfolio and enjoy the story. Tiger in the BSE by E. Lily Yu There was once a tiger in Mumbai, a kshatriya and a ruthless trader of stocks who lived in a glossy high-rise the color of the sea. His suits of slick poplin and seersucker were confected by two tailors in Milan, his bath was cut from marble as rich as soap and always drawn warm and fragrant for him at the end of each day, and his suppers, which threw the meat markets into an uproar, were prepared under the hands of some of the finest cooks from Mangalore and Chengdu. He had, in short, the kind of life that any well-bred tiger could hope to have. But he lacked one thing, and it made him pace between the red walls of his living room and bite the pads of his paws. He went to the house of an old friend, where he and his trading tips were always welcome, and said, Brother, I have no mother or father to help me in this matter, and no family except my friends. For the sake of the tricks we played in school, for the beatings I took for you, will you help me find a bride? My sisters are all spoken for, the man said quickly, but seeing his whiskers quiver in distress, said, Nevertheless, I can inquire for you. What sort of bride are you looking for? I want her to be beautiful and gracious. Her breath must be sweet and her hands soft. 
She must be able to do sums and keep the household accounts, but apart from that, she will not work. For no wife of mine shall cook and clean. I need no dowry, and few good families would turn up their noses at the gifts I would give her family. Well, I shall see what I can do. So the tiger waited. He went to the trading floor and came home and ate his dish of lamb and placed the thick carpet into which his claws sank and made no sound. And he heard nothing from his friend. He had a wedding suit measured for him and he had his fur barbered and perfumed and still he did not hear from his friend. Weeks went by without the relief of a phone call and the tiger grew so agitated that he closed several unlucky trades and lost a princely sum. After three months, he brought a basket of sweets to his friend and asked about his bride. The man shook his head and said, Forgive me, but none of the city girls are willing to marry a tiger, even for gifts of palaces and politicians. They say your manners would be uncouth or that your claws would cut into their tender skin or that they could not look at your long shining teeth without a shiver. I have scoured the newspapers, phoned every family with eligible daughters and dined at every respected house and everywhere I have been turned out of doors with laughter. However, he said, as the tiger's lips curled back over his teeth, I have uh, found a girl in Matharan. She is unsophisticated and unused to luxury and I thought her below your notice. But she is pretty and pleasant and trained as an accountant for that is her father's job as well, and she has impeccable taste and a university degree. The horoscopes are favourable, and her family is inclined to the match. He said more quietly, Her mother has been in the hospital for two years. It is for this reason that the girl will have you as a suitor. I do not like the situation, the tiger said, but I will talk to them. For the interview with her parents, the tiger had his claws trimmed to nubs and his teeth whitened and sweetened. He brought an armful of flowers and a gold necklace in a velveteen box, and the whole way there he drummed his blunt claws against the window in his nervousness. They had arranged to meet at the hospital. He spoke with the father, a tall, tired man with a proud face, for two hours. His daughter would have every kindness and every luxury, he said. She would not know want or work or indifference. He would love her and care for her as much as her parents could. The mother lay wan and sad in her bed and said nothing. But at this, she sighed. Then he was introduced to their daughter. Both of them being shy, their conversation was mostly stammers and silences. But they found each other agreeable, though inarticulate. So they were wed with great ceremony and not a few tears from her aunts. Her mother did not weep, but she did not laugh either. Please smile, said the bride, and wish me well. How can I be glad? It is because of me that my daughter is marrying a tiger, and nothing that her daughter said could persuade her to smile. To the tiger's delight, his wife proved to be as charming as he had hoped, and clever besides. Not only did she neaten his household accounts with a few deft notations, finding a forgotten payment to the housekeeper and back wages for the maid, she also advised him on modest investments he never would have bothered with. Five thousand shares here, another thousand there, in small and slowly growing firms in medical research and new energy technologies. He bought them at first to humour her, 
but after a year saw that she had lost very little and gained a respectable profit, whereas a few of his riskier ventures had failed, and so he began to listen to her. But one afternoon she was alarmed to see her husband return with his rich suit shredded and slit by his claws and his fur torn, huge tears of grief rolling down his face. We are ruined, he groaned to her. The market has crashed, and she dropped her face into his thick fur and sighed with him. Is there nothing you can do? It is no use, he said. My reputation is ruined. More than ruined, I am in debt. We must dismiss the servants at once and put the apartment up for sale. If we must, then we must. But where can we live and what can we eat? I promised you caviar and Isis. Soon we will have no roof. No, I will sell myself to a zoo so that at least you will have a place to stay. We'll go back to Matharan. It will take your mind off these things. Besides, the market might recover while we are away. He loved his wife dearly, and so they did as she proposed, though not before she made a few quiet investments and left instructions with a friend from her university days. They did not speak to each other on the long train ride, although the tiger sighed hot, misty sighs and wrung his paws together. Her mother had left the hospital some time ago, and now her parents' house was a joyful place. He was bowled over at once by her nieces and nephews who called him Uncle Tiger and begged him to buy them jalebi and let them tie kites to his tail. Although he was a tiger, he was also a gentleman and he swapped jokes with her family and praised the simple but careful food that his mother-in-law made in the morning. Imperceptibly, his grief subsided. His wife, to spare him the thought of his cheapened stocks, had hidden all newspapers from him and persuaded the rest of the family to do likewise. After he received the same answer two or three times, he never asked again. But she herself read the paper in secret. Six months passed, and the tiger, who felt no desire to return to Mumbai, was surprised to hear his wife suggest it. But you can see how happy I am here. There is nothing left for me there but ruin and disgrace. Then let me go back and check your portfolio for you, she said. Just a week. And he grumblingly gave his assent. But not too grumblingly, because one of the boys was sitting on his back and tugging his whiskers. She packed a small suitcase and took the next train to Mumbai. As she had expected, her seed money had germinated, and a couple of the tiger's more prudent purchases had made small gains. She sold and bought judiciously, and at the end of the week she returned on the train to her husband and family. Well, my love, how are things in the city? he asked her. Not good, not bad, she said. Wait and see. In another three months' time, she read another item in the newspaper that brought her back to Mumbai. The tiger, who was learning to cook dal and dosa while small children tied ribbons in his fur, did not complain. Well, my beloved, how are things? he asked. Not good, not bad, she said again, kissing his whiskers. Wait and see. After another three months, she returned to Mumbai and her heart lifted when she saw that the worst of the recession was over and the small companies she had researched and picked out late at night while the tiger slept were doing splendidly. My husband, she cried as she ran to him from the train. Our assets have rebound to three quarters of their former value. We can return to your beloved city with our heads high. 
You can if you like, the tiger said. You can have the apartment and hire back our servants and you can shout stocks from sunup to sundown. But as for me, I like this life among your relatives and I will stay here. And I will be content if you come home on the weekends. So, she packed her sharper suit and heels and hugged her mother, father, brothers and husband goodbye. They waved to her as the train pulled out of the station, diminishing with distance and then they were gone. In the marble, she awoke alone in the apartment with the marble bath and red walls. Light sliced itself on the blinds and fell in stripes on her face, and she could hear somewhere the crisp ticking of a clock. She washed herself and offered puja with the brightness in her motions, like a note struck from a copper bowl. Then she put on her best shirt with cuffs like razors and slicked her face with lipstick and cream. And when she walked into the BSC, heels cracking against the floor, even those who had never seen her before knew that she was the tiger's wife. What she did there would take too long to tell, but prosperity followed her like a cloud of gold. After ten years, she retired as the wealthiest woman in Maharashtra, with the proudest husband too. And if they were not always happy afterward, well, that is the way of things, for a woman's heart is as restless as a tiger's. And welcome back. Sweet little story, huh? I guess a tiger really can change his stripes. Feedback this week is for Yoon Ha Lee's Architectural Constance, read by my pal Graham Dunlop. This was the weird story of a librarian, a sentry, and a spider-like woman who controlled the city. The feedback for this was generally kind of mixed, though lots of people definitely enjoyed the beautiful weirdness of the world and wish they could have spent more time in it. Unblinking said, I read this way back in Beneath Ceaseless Sky's debut issue, and then again on the BCS podcast. It really made me appreciate the writing of Yoon Ha Lee. Throughout the whole thing, I'm never entirely sure that I understand what's happening, but the images and the events are still very interesting. I particularly enjoy the half-man who can be dispersed in the wind if his less real side faces it. Good stuff. Flasher Darling wasn't quite so fond of it, saying, Like the setting and flavor, sadly though it felt like an introduction that immediately skips ahead to the conclusion and do sex machina. The listener doesn't even learn of the problems that the city has until they are described as they are being solved. Really would be better if it had been a longer story. <laughs> What's that? Somebody's asking us to run longer stories of Podcastle? Have no fear. One of those is coming your way... Hmm, not next week? Maybe the week after that? Well, sometime soon, I don't know. Thank you very much for those comments. You can let us know what you think of our stories at forum.escapeartist.net. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. We use that money to pay our authors so we don't have to sell ourselves to the zoo. Well, not for extended amounts of time, anyway. God, Anna really hates it when the little kids rattle her cage or bang against the glass. One day she's going to swallow one of them whole. If you can't afford to donate, please tell your friends about us by tweeting, Facebooking, writing a review on iTunes for us, or, you know, just actually talking to them. Thanks. That was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, and Lecky, 
Peter Wood, Anna Schwinn, and myself. Thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in a week with some very strange weird courtesy of Scott Andrews. In the meantime, enjoy wrestling with your nieces and nephews. We'll see you in a week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Amy Tan said, We dream to give ourselves hope. To stop dreaming? Wow, that's like saying you can never change your fate. Thanks for listening.